Welcome to Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care, an educational podcast for individuals needing long-term care and their families. Join us as we talk with national experts and advocates about strategies you can use in the pursuit of quality long-term care. In this episode, we are sharing audio from Consumer Voices webinar that was part of the Dignity for All Staffing Standards Now campaign. This campaign is advocating for a minimum staffing standard in nursing homes. The implementation of a minimum staffing standard would not only protect nursing home residents, it would address the long-standing job quality problems that plague nursing homes. In this episode, you will hear a conversation with Consumer Voice and several direct care workers, also members of the Service Employees International Union, who discuss what it's like to work in an understaffed facility and what a minimum staffing standard would mean to direct care staff in nursing homes. To view the PowerPoint slides mentioned in this episode and to learn more about the campaign, visit theconsumervoice.org slash pursuingquality. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon and welcome to today's program. My name is Lori Smetenka, and I'm the executive director of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care. The Consumer Voice is the leading national voice representing consumers and issues related to long-term care. Our work is centered around advocating for policies that support quality and are responsive to consumers' needs, empowering and educating consumers, training and supporting others who advocate for long-term care consumers, and promoting and supporting the critical role of direct care workers and best practices in the delivery of quality care. So as we get started, um, on February 23rd, just a couple weeks ago, the Consumer Voice launched our Dignity for All Staffing Standards Now campaign to amplify the voices of nursing home residents, direct care workers, and their advocates in support of the Biden administration's proposal to implement a minimum staffing standard in nursing homes. Two weeks ago, we hosted the first in a series of events to highlight the importance of developing and implementing a minimum staffing standard. During that first webinar, we heard about the inadequacy of federal and state requirements around staffing, about the research that shows the direct relationship between staffing levels and the provision of quality care and resident outcomes. And we heard the very real stories from a nursing home resident and a direct care worker about how they are impacted by inadequate staffing levels. Also, we talked about the need for greater transparency and accountability with how the billions of dollars in public funds are actually spent because one of the industry's primary arguments against staffing standards is that they can't afford it. Our campaign webpage, which you see on the slide before you, is where you can get more information about this campaign and the events that we'll be holding over the next several weeks, including recordings of webinars and events that are taking place, registration to links to future events, and the link to a survey where you can share your experience of living or working in a nursing home without adequate staff. From the campaign webpage, next slide Libby, you can also access consumer voice resources on staffing, such as an issue brief with talking points and consumer voice reports, including one we released last year looking at turnover in nursing homes. Turnover among staff is a really important issue because it directly relates to job quality and the ability to retain and attract individuals that work in a facility, as well as to the quality of care that residents receive. CMS data indicates that on average, nursing home staff turnover is 52% each year, resulting from low wages, poor benefits, inadequate training, and little opportunity for job growth. The burden of providing essential and critical care falls mainly on women, a majority of whom are women of color, while they are treated poorly by many nursing home owners and operators. 
From the CAMWEP campaign webpage, you can also access the Consumer Voices issue page on staffing that has even more information and resources. So now today, in the second of our campaign events, we're hosting a conversation with direct care workers who are members of the Service Employees International Union. And thank you to our partners at SCIU, Karen, Mauricio, Jorge, and Sarah, for all of their help in pulling together today's program. The staff with us today will share what it's like to work in an understaffed facility, what a minimum staffing standard would mean to direct care staff in a nursing home. So today's panelists, I'm gonna introduce them each and ask them to tell a little bit about themselves. First, we have Adelina Ramos from Rhode Island. Welcome Adelina. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, how long you've worked in long-term care and how you decided to become a CNA in a long-term care setting? Hi everyone, my name is Adelina Ramos. Um, I'm from Greenville, Rhode Island. Um, I'm a CNA. I've been a CNA for the last 13 years. Um, the reason why I became a CNA, it was because I love to help others. And, and that was the way that I, I saw an opportunity to be there for elderly. So um, I love my job. As many of CNAs in the nursing home, we do love our job. And then we take our job seriously. We love our patients and majority of our patients in the nursing home don't have a family members. And some of them that do have a family members, they cannot be there for them all the time. And where are the families that are there for them? And, but uh, short staffing hasn't, it didn't start with the pandemic. It started way longer before pandemic. And we've been out there letting the public know um, that the short staffing um, how it's affecting our residents in a nursing home and how it's affecting the workers. Um, in my state, we did pass a bill for safe staffing, but it hasn't been an affected. Um, so that's why we need a, a federal safe staffing bill that would not only help my state, but it will also help millions of Americans across the board. Um, we like I said, we love our residents and uh, our residents need us more than ever because now the residents that we care for in the nursing homes, there are residents that need um, more care. We're not getting the grandma and grandpas we used to get before in the nursing homes because uh, a lot of their families uh, rather them stay in home than go into a nursing home. The residents that we get in the nursing homes are with uh, mental health. Uh, behavior issues are uh, residents that um, have alcohol and drug addictions. And some of the residents that work in also in some nursing homes are homeless. And we are not trained for to deal with those type of residents. We were trained to deal with uh, quality care for uh, different residents. And those type of residents that we get in a nursing home right now, we don't have the proper training to care for them. And we need mm -hmm. a government to help us. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Adelina, so much for um, sharing uh, those perspectives um, at the beginning here. Um, next, we have Shonda Whitfield, a nursing assistant from St. Louis, Missouri. Shonda, same. Could you share with us um, what drew you to long-term care, how long you've been working in this field, and uh, what made you decide to become a, a CNA? Hello, everybody. Once again, <clears throat> my name is Shonda Whitfield. I am a CNA, as she said. I've been a CNA since um, 30 years ago. Um, what prompted me to become a CNA, I have a passion for people. And it was the elderly people. 
Um, I have three children. I'm a God-fearing woman. And also, I just would like to make a difference in someone else's life. Um, it's just been a lot of things that went on during my process of uh, being a CNA. You know, I had lost uh, all of my family, starting with my mom and all her siblings. So it taught me a lot about what family really means. Being working in a nursing home, some of the people, I've been at my job for going on 10 years, some of the people you have not seen one person come and visit. Mm -hmm. So we become, like Elena said, we become their, their family. We are their family. We are the people who they see on a daily day basis. We are the people that they look for confidant in. We are the people that look, they look to support them, to just, just talk to them and to be there for them. So I think that is why I stick to what I do because I love to make a difference in someone's life. Thank you, Shonda. Thank you so much. And it's so true that we see so many times that staff become family to those living in long-term care facilities and the residents tell us the same thing as well. And we also have Amy Runkel, who is from Venice, Florida. And Amy, tell us a little bit about yourself what drew you to this field and how long you've been working in the long-term care field? Hi, everybody. Um, uh, first, I would like to thank everybody for um, having me here today. Um, this information that, you know, we're about to give out is, is very vital to, to what happens next and, and our future. Um, as she said, my name is Amy Runkle. Um, I'm from Venice, Florida. Uh, I am a CNA and I've been a CNA for 38 years. And I have worked in Venice, Florida at the same nursing home for 34 years. Um, and, and what got me into this field was actually a family member. It was my grandmother. When I was 16, 17, um, she was, you know, put in a nursing home. And that was my first visit to a nursing home. I was absolutely terrified. But when I got there and seeing all the people and, and the desperation on their faces to have somebody to, to talk with them, to help them do things, to take care of them. I mean, I was just like drawn in like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> and my mother as, as well was a CNA and um, I just kind of followed her footsteps. I love it. I love the satisfaction that it gives me and I love the look on my residents' faces you know, as I take care of them and talk to them. And it's just so rewarding, you know, when you're able to do it and, and you have the right things to work with. And, you know, it's, it's just very rewarding. And, mm -hmm. and I'm, this is probably going to be my career until I retire. <laughs> uh -huh. Great. Well, welcome. Welcome to all three of you. We're really thrilled um, to have you with us and appreciate you taking the time. Let's talk um, a little bit about what your typical day at work is like. And Adelina, maybe we can start with you that you could tell us what a typical day at work is like for you. Hi, so my typical day, I usually work seven to three. So, you know, you go in and you get the resident ready for the day. You start with them, get them up, uh, shower, you know, beating them, uh, get them up for breakfast and so forth and so on. So imagine on the day that um, you're working short and uh, instead of you having seven residents, you end up having 12 residents on that day. So 
Um, therefore, you go in uh, into a patient room instead of you having more time spending with your patient and uh, talking to them, knowing what happened the day before, what's going to happen today. Uh, you're just going in there and kind of like rushing through everything. And the residents will sense that and they will know that uh, something is up. So they will automatically ask you, oh, are you guys working short today? Oh, uh, how many staff do you have on? So, um, and when you tell them that, you know, how many girls are on, if uh, typically you have 30 patients and it's supposed to have um, like three to four CNAs and you only have two CNAs and you see the, you know, the expression on their faces, uh, it will tell it all, like how are they feeling their day will be that day. Um, so... Therefore, uh, majority of the time in our nursing homes, um, some residents that we have, probably half of them or about half of them are patients that require like two CNAs to transfer them from bed to chair, chair to bed, which will be a mechanical lift. Um, so that um, so when a resident is asking you, you know, to go to the bathroom and when you only have two CNAs and the other CNA is busy, you know, it's going to take like about 20 minutes for you to go take that patient to the bathroom because that patient requires two aides to help you. Um, so on those days, it's very stressful uh, for the residents and it's only very stressful on the staff. Mm -hmm. because we don't have the help and the support that we need for those residents. And it's, it's a heck of a day for both, for us mm -hmm. and the residents. I would imagine that when you're faced with that, with the short staffing, Adelina, and you know you have residents that may need a two, two people to assist them, it can become dangerous um, if any of the aides try to, try to help them by themselves. It is, um, and we're not supposed to. If th those patients are um, required to assist, uh, we can lose our license if uh, we go and assist them with one assist and something happened, you know, the state will come in and, and they will do the investigation that you put in your yourself at risk. And then you also put the, re the resident at risk if you do go help that resident by yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll give you a perfect example. If I'm feeding a resident, I'm helping a resident that requires me to help her eat and another resident, it's calling me to go to the bathroom and I have to make a decision that I don't want to, but th these are decisions that we do make it on a daily basis in a nursing home. Do I stop feeding that resident and let her food get cold and go take that resident that needs to go to the bathroom that can't go to the bathroom by itself? And if, I stop feeding that resident, the food's gonna get cold and I go help the other resident. If I don't go help the other resident that needs to go to the bathroom because I'm feeding the other one, he or she might try to go to the bathroom on their own and they, they fall and they hurt themselves. And these are decisions that we have to make every single day in a nursing home on a daily basis, especially when we're short staff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and those are very difficult decisions for you all to have to make. Um, Shonda, um, how about you? Well, let's pull you into the, this as well. Um, you work in a behavioral health unit. Is that um, part of what you do? So in terms of like what your typical day looks like, in addition to what Adelina said, um, what else would you like to share? Well, uh, 
a typical day for me, um, when you work lock units, it's supposed to be two at all times. Um, it'd be times where you just back there by yourself. So anything can go wrong. Anything can pop off. Anything, I mean, till fights, till um, being engaged by a resident, you know, uh, being cornered off, um, things of that nature. Um, short staffing is so important because it's it's a safety it's a safety issue. You know, you have you know some aggressive, some really aggressive residents that they take in. You know, and they have to. It's just like you or I when we go somewhere and we don't we're not familiar with a place or a person or where we are, you know, we have a tendency of kind of shying down or either acting out. Well, the mental health people that we are receiving now, they act out, you know, so you have people that may have been there um, that's a little older than the group that we're getting in. So your typical day may be, I'm aggressive today. So I'm going to jump on this person. When a person gets with a mental health issue, when they get asphyxiated with a person, sometimes their mind get asphyxiated with one person. You know, it's something that they don't like about this person. So you have to, you know, uh, probably have to get the person off of that person for whatever reason in, in their mind and head that they feel like this person is a threat to them. So it's like you're watching, you're breaking up fights, you're taking a chance of being hit, jumped on, spit on, mm. you know, all things of this nature. So a typical day, it's kind of up and down. Mm. You know, you have some days that may be better than others, you know. So it's really, really important to have the adequate staff that you need because if all any of those things jump off, who's going to be back there to go and go for help? Or who is back there to help you defuse the situation? You know, so I just feel like it's very important because it's safety for yourself, it's safety for the other residents that can't help themselves. You know, so it's just, it's it's really an ongoing thing all day. It's a mental status. You know, when you leave some days from your day-to-day typical job <laughs> description, mm-hmm. oh my God, you know, you have to like really, really find some quiet time for yourself to just get all the things and all the thoughts and just seeing the people struggle just struggle with just life alone, you know, and, you know, you know, it's not them, but it's just, just watching the people struggle and you just feel like, what can I do to make his stay better or her stay better? And it sounds to me, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. It sounds to me that it's um, certainly an issue of having adequate numbers of staff but also people that are trained properly to handle right. the different types of issues that are presented by right. the, the, different, the different challenges that you experience. 
Yes, ma'am, it is. And I just feel like not in just my facility, you know, everywhere across the world, people, if they're going to change the geriatric scening to mental health scening, everyone needs to be trained. Everyone needs to be trained coming in the door. You have new CNAs, you know, you have new CNAs coming in the door. You have, as they say, call us vet CNAs. Still, everyone needs to be trained coming into the door just for the safety alone, because you never know what you face. Mm -hmm. You know, we had, we had an incident. I mean, like ever since it has flipped, we have had incidents of people being attacked, almost being raped. We have had situations, um, someone's eye have almost been put out. We have different situations at hand that occurs on a day-to-day basis. So when you say a typical day, we never know what to expect for that day. Sure, sure. And that can make it very difficult, I'm sure, um, going in sometimes to work. And Amy, how about you? Um, what What's your typical day like and how else can you complement and add to the discussion here? So uh, I work midnight shift. Um, so my typical day is um, when I get to work at 11 o'clock at night, um, I walk into um, a, I mean, we don't have as much staff as day shift and stuff. So, but what I do walk into is like 90% agency workers and they're all standing at the desk. They're waiting to get their assignment. Um, and they're fussing back and forth. No, I want this. No, I want that. And then, you know, first hour being there, we have to deal with the agency staff. So then we get our assignments and, um, we, I typically go to my, what we call usual assignment. And, um, I, start checking my residence. Then I have to check for all the proper equipment that I will need to complete my job that night. A lot of times the closets are empty. We don't have the briefs. We don't have the linen. I mean, we have to search for it throughout the entire building. And that could take up on a whole nother hour that we could have actually been spending with our residents. Um, it's, it's really hard that, um, we can't spend the adequate amount of time because of all the agency that we have now we're doing more training with them because most of them have never been there before. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, we have to train them to the people. We have to answer questions for them all night, which actually gives me less time that I need to take care of my residents in the proper way. So um, when you, when you have, that much it's not that the agency people don't care because i'm sure they do sure. care but they're not invested like like full-time part-time workers would be so when when you go to a room to take care of people you're focused on the duty you're focused on i need to ch check you make sure you're clean dry sometimes not even turn but you know that's a whole other story but <laughs> um they do they do the basics and then they move on Whereas when I go in, because I have my assignment and I know my people, I check them for change in status. Um, I report it. We just had an incident where um, I, I reported a change in status in somebody and they said nobody else has reported that, you know, but we'll pass it on. So the next night I come in, I go to the same gentleman. Um, his status is actually a bit worse the next day. 
Um, I reported again. Thank God I had the, the nurse and she was an agency nurse as well. She actually came down and she asked me all the questions about him. Well, what does he typically do? What does he, you know, they have to get all that information from me because they don't know these residents like we do. And when you're full time, you really get to know them. There's a whole lot more continuity of care with them. And um, I came back the next night, which was actually last night. And that nurse got called the doctor and got them to do blood draws. His blood levels were critical. They had to call 911 and send him out. And at all three of them days, I'm the only one that reported a change of status. That kind of stuff happens all the time. People mm -hmm. are being left behind because of that. We're mm -hmm. losing lives because of that. Mm -hmm. And that's not fair to them. They don't deserve that. They deserve so much better. And then... You know, moving forward, I, I take care of my you know residents the best that I can. Um, it's not the same as it used to be, for sure, because so many cutbacks and probably due to the fact that they're having to pay the agency $50, $60 to send us one CNA. And my facility alone is about 90% filled with uh, agency CNAs. Wow. And they're making the money they're making is so much greater than what we're making or we're being offered. So, right. Well, and it seems that, you know, certainly having the um, agency staff who, as you said, don't know the residents, they don't know the processes and the facility, they don't know where things are. So that takes additional time. Um, they're not aware of changes in condition as well as you are right. who see the people on a daily basis. And one thing, you know, because you work nights, um, you know, I think people think that it's quiet in a nursing home at night, but, that, you know, as you know, compared to the rest of the day, but people still need care and services at night. It's, you know, That's it's right. probably not as quiet as people think. No, and it's truly not because uh, there's, there's a thing called sundowners. So when the sun goes down, they wake up. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, I mean, there are some that sleep, but for the majority of it, they're up and, you know, a lot of them are, are in pain. Some of them have been in bed all day because nobody got them up just because they're short staff on the other shifts, they just leave them in bed and feed them. So mm -hmm. you, you know, I, I don't know if some of you out there have ever laid in bed when you've been sick or something, but after a while, your body starts to hurt. Well, they feel the same way and yeah. they're not sick. They're just being left in bed all the time because of lack of staffing. Absolutely. So Shonda, maybe I can turn to you and maybe you can tell us a little bit about some of the challenges you face providing quality care the way you would like. What are, what are some of the, the challenges or barriers that get in the way of you being able to give the care that you would like to give to the residents that you're, that you're caring for? Um, the challenges that I'd be faced, um, it'd be probably the fighting. The fighting, um, refereeing, trying to talk down, um, <clears throat> trying to redirect, you know, um, them are some of the challenges that I face because you may have someone over here that's that's soil or you trying to toilet and you have to kind of walk away for a minute to try to keep another resident safe from another resident. So them are some of the challenges that I have. Um, you have to still stand firm and that could be a challenge also trying to stand firm, not show any, um, 
not sh not to try to show any afraidness, you know, because when you're working with behavior health, if they sense that you are afraid, they become bullying to you. So um, the challenge is to be is to stand firm, you know, with whether you afraid or whether you're not, but you can't show that you are. Yeah. You know, so and you don't the challenge be that I don't know if he's gonna knock me in my face or knock me on the floor or spit on me, you know, or or can I just can I redirect this person? Sure. You know, so there are some of the challenges. Um, you know, like she said earlier in, in, in the statement she made, Miss Adelaida, you take the challenge of, you know, someone full being cold or, you know, uh, someone maybe on the floor had, you know, then fell, you know, you have to, you know, have to try to juggle all of this at one time. And sometimes it does just, just the challenges alone become overwhelming. Sometimes mm -hmm. you just, you know, sometimes I just have to kind of steal away and just say, Lord, just take the wheel because it's just really get overwhelming sometimes because you know you in your mind, you should be doing these things on this left hand, but the right hand is pulling you, you know, so you trying to find a balance in all of this. Mm -hmm. And sometimes some days you cannot find that. Yeah. yeah. Adelina, how about you? What are some of the challenges that uh, that you face and and being able to provide the care that you'd like to provide for residents? Um, the challenge that I've been facing with um, a lot, it's like um, if I have a resident that was supposed to, for example, get a shower today and uh, but I don't know how the day is going to go because I don't know if you're going to be staffed or not. So um, so when I walked in and see that um, we're short staffed and we end up having like, well, there's only two CNAs for 30 patients and there's like eight showers. How are you going to be able mm -hmm. to juggle those eight showers? Right. And, um, and then that's that's the one challenge that I've been having with them. And also if one of my residents said, oh, tomorrow's going to be a nice day. Do you think we can go sit outside because she or he doesn't have a family member and we can go sit outside for a few minutes to enjoy the day. And, um, and then I have, that's a big challenge because I cannot promise my patient that I would love to promise my patient that, but, um, I can't because I don't know how the day will be like. Um, so then when you go in and then you see that you're working short and then your patient is like, oh, you know, it's a nice day. Can you take me outside? And um, you're telling her, but, you know, you can't be sitting outside yourself and there's only two of us here. Um, and then you look at the like, you know, you look at their faces and then how they look at you saying like, you know, they can't be outside and. And you don't know what to do because you have to stay on the unit because if something goes wrong, so you can run to and help the other uh, patients or you still have other patients that you still have to care for. So you're not able to take the other patient out. 
So mm-hmm. it's constantly like a challenge with staffing. So you never know what like your day is going to be looking like. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it makes you upset. And then, you know, it also makes the residents very upset. And then sometimes the fam- the family members call and ask if they went outside and then they tell their family member, they didn't, they didn't take me outside and the family gets upset. And then it's, it becomes like, it's our fault and the management won't take responsibility. And then it's not like the management will come to the floor and say, Hey, can you like get this patient ready? And I'll take it. He or she outside, you know, for the day, whatever you don't, you don't see the management when you ask for help and they don't come and help you. And the only time that you see them, on the floor helping you it's when the surveyors are in the building mm. that's mm. like hands on deck and you know those are the challenges that we face most of the time so um based you know on your answer and what you had said a little bit earlier you're having to not only prioritize the type of care that you're giving to the residents when you're short staffed and make decisions about who's going to get what type of care and and who's not going to be able to get you know, certain care, or they're going to have to wait longer for, you know, for getting help. So it's impacting not just the quality of life, the quality of care that the residents are receiving, but their quality of life also for people who may not be able to go outside or participate in, you know, in different activities or events or do things that they would like to do because there's not the help that is able to be given to them. Yes. So that, Mm -hmm. that happens a lot because, you know, if, um, like you said, like if they have some activities going on that they wanted to go, we have like at my facility, we have a lot of residents that like to go to the bingo. And so um, I love one of the, one of my patients. Um, She would be like, I would love to, you know, they're doing bingo today. Can you get me ready for me to go to bingo? But I would like to get up like 15 minutes before because it starts at 2 p.m. So, uh, so if we're short, I have to tell her, listen, I have to get you up before lunch. And, um, and then like, I have to toilet you before you go, if you can't wait, um, that will be around noontime. Uh, I don't know if you would like to go back to bed, but, um, I, I'm not promising I'll be able to put you back to bed and get you back up. Cause it, you know, she takes, she requires two assists. It requires two people to get her up. So. I can't promise her that, you know, I'll get her out of bed before she will like to go to bingo if she wants to take a nap after uh, lunch. Mm-hmm. So, so I have to juggle with that. And then she will, you know, if she knows that we're shorthanded, she will understand it. She'll be like, I'll stay up. It's it's okay. And those are decisions that we have to make sometimes, you know. And mm-hmm. we try the best we can with our residents to try to get them to certain activities. But it's, and sometimes certain things, that's certain things that we cannot do. Mm-hmm. Amy, what is staffing like in your facility? Ooh. Like I said before, it's like 90% agency. Mm-hmm. Um, agencies show up when they want to show up. So when you get to work, you never really know if you're going to have enough staff or not. And most of the time we do not because somebody just decided not to show and it's not our regular full-time part-time people. It's usually agency that just don't show up and because they don't have to, there's no, there's no uh, accountability if they don't. So, mm-hmm. but um, what do you think some but, of the causes are for the understaffing that, you know, for why you can't get enough people there on a full-time basis? Well, that's because most of them are going to the agencies 
because they are obviously getting paid more somewhere between 22 and $30 an hour. And my particular facility, if you're a brand new CNA, they only want to give you $15 an hour. Well, as we all know, you can't live on $15 an hour. It's just impossible anymore. So, I mean, it's kind of a no brainer. You're going to go where the money is. They don't, they're not invested in our residents because they don't know them. You know, like I, I don't make as much as they do. I mean, I, even though I've been there a long time, but I, I really stay and I don't want to move because I, I love my facility that I work at. I don't always like what they do, but you know, it's like, I can't just walk away from it because, you know, it's 30 some years. It's been part of my life. And I know that them residents that have been there a long time, or even the new ones coming in, they need somebody like me. They need more people like me, to be honest with Mm -hmm. you, like all of us on here today. Right. But Absolutely. Shonda, how about your facility? What's the staffing like there? Uh, It's pretty much like um, Ms. Amy just uh, said. Um, It varies from day to day because sometimes we have to come off of the lock unit. So that leaves the lock unit short to go out and into outside the doors to help on the floor, which is even shorter. Um, And you just don't have any support. Like you don't have any teamwork. Um, They expect you to, you know, outside of the doors. Um, It's more like higher lifts and um, people that you really, really have to assist. Mm -hmm. But it's just like, it's no staff. But people grab their purses and go right out the door and you're left to, you know, do the work. You know, do the work. And it's just like you have four different floors, but you were, I'm had a day where I'm running from the lock unit to help someone that's, that's, that's not really equipped to work the lock unit back to uh, outside the door to assist either get up the people or put the people back down to feed them, to drive them. You know, it, Staffing can be real ugly at times, really ugly. And uh, like she say, they bring the agency people in and they don't even, they don't, it's like they don't even care about their own workers. They will pay them uh, $25, $30 an hour when they only want to pay us maybe $15 to $18 an hour. But we are left because we are loyal to Mm -hmm. our our work that we do so we we know and we have a rapport with our people in our facility so we're going to try to do the best that we can because we don't want them to suffer just because lack of sure absolutely thanks so much Shonda Adelina what are some of the barriers you think um, exist to recruiting needed workers to recruit people to you know want to come and work in the in the facility. I think she froze, right? It looks like it. (laughs) 
looks like we're having a little technical difficulty. Sorry about that. I think, Adelina, um, what Lori was asking is, um, I mean, we, we've heard, obviously, about um, uh, the wages, but could you describe what you think um, prevents or inhibits people from um, becoming CNAs or uh, taking these jobs? Um, so I think um, a lot of time when, because what they teach you on a CNA classes is total different thing when you go to a nursing home. So you have a lot of times when a brand new CNA comes to a facility and they see what really goes on in a nursing home. And uh, they see that amount of patients that you're caring for and how you have to juggle all of that. And uh, some of them don't understand how can that be possible? Uh, because what you're learning at school is totally different when it's in reality. And uh, some of them will be like, this is not what I signed up for. And um, then they'll like decide to quit. And they said, you know, they'd be saying, you know, the, they don't pay me enough to do this work. And, and it's hard to uh, retain those brand new uh, CNAs. And now, uh, like the, um, the other colleagues just said about, you know, the agency, it, it's becoming more difficult to retain the CNAs in a nursing home. Um, because if you go work for an agency in our state, they'll pay you up to $40 an hour. And, um, and then for you to uh, a regular CNA that works for that company, you're getting paid $20 an hour. So um, a lot of staff are feeling like they've been disrespected that way because why are you bringing somebody from the outside that don't know your patients and you're paying them sometimes a double of what the other, uh, your regular staff are making in a facility. And instead of them using that money to hire more staff and to make the work better, and they, they don't. And, um, and the reason why they don't it's because a lot of times these companies that are hiring agency, they own the agency. So therefore they making the money. So um, the company that I, I work for, they have their own agency. So, and they even say like, oh, uh, we rather have our agency people coming to our buildings and instead of hiring somebody else, so they're not losing money and there's no accountability for that. And so that's why a lot of them are getting, after COVID, a lot of these uh, big corporations got us smarter and they're hiring, they're, they're making, you know, they're having their own agency because they know there's no accountability from the government. So, um, but for us, in my facility, since we have a union, um, we do have a staff ratio on our contract. And um, so our staff, it's not as bad compared to our other uh, buildings. So a lot of times um, the, the agency staff that comes to our building, they like to stay there because they say, oh, your, your facility, it's well-staffed. Your facility is not that bad compared to the same same company that they go to different building, they're like, the staffing is horrible there. 
And um, it shouldn't be like that because our company, um, they well said that they rad have better staff in our building because we're a union building than the other building. So our building is a priority. And when we feel like every, every building should be a priority. And um, that's why, you know, we're uh, organized uh, building and we are like the voices for the other buildings that not are like organized. So that's why we're out there, you know, being the voices for our patients and also being the voices for the other workers and put a light on it for people to see what goes on in, in the other facilities too. Thanks, thank you. Um, Shonda, I mean, you have, I mean, all of you have spoken about really the work that you do, and it's really a lot of trauma involved. And it was a great question that somebody posed, and I think this trauma, you know, you, the issue of high turnover must be related to that as well. What kind of support do you get from your facility dealing with this type of what, as you described, having to um, protect yourself from fights or witnessing people get hit. I mean, it sounds like most days involve trauma. And what kind of support do you get, emotional support or any kind of support to deal with that type of, um, type of work environment, if any? Well, it may sound kind of off the rocket, but we, we get no support. We get no support. Nine times out of 10, when you work a lock unit, I work a lock unit with all men. My unit is consists of all men. Um, we can get hurt. We can get, you know, just things happens to different people. Like I said once before, um, someone was almost raped. And when it comes to the owners, they don't they don't even call and say, "Oh, you okay?" They don't want to give you workman comp. They don't want to send you for emotional distress evaluations. They don't support you in anything. It's all about a dollar and a body versus your employees and the support for your, support, your employees. Um, in our contract, we do have, um, we can use a mental health day just for the mental status of all the abuse that you know you have to endure, whether it's verbal, verbal physical, or mental. You know, but um, as she said, you know, we, we do have contracts. We are part of SEIU and we do have a voice. So that's the way that we stand. I'm part of the code committee for SEIU. And I've been in my facility, like I said, almost 10 years. And we get together and we stand. We stand together with our union. And our union backs us because if we didn't have a union, we wouldn't have a voice. You know, and they have even tried to put in place where we can have a safe place to go to for mental distress and to talk to someone through through the union. But for us, our job is concerned is no support. 
If you're not talking about filling their beds or if you're not talking about how to make another dollar make sense to them, it's none and void. So it's no support. Thanks, Chandra. I'm sorry to hear that. And Amy, um, that same question to you, I mean, not necessarily that specific one, but I mean, you must see high turnover. Do you see, what, what do you think really prohibits um, you know, qualified individuals from coming in and, um, you know, taking these jobs. Is it a job? I mean, what you hear from the industry, I guess, is um, is a job crisis. But what we like to call it is a job quality crisis. Um, what you've described here um, has been very, uh, I think, some folks, obviously, um, other CNAs understand this, but um, these are shocking things that you go through every day. Um, so could you just talk a little bit, I guess, to what Adelina and Shanda had uh, talked about um, and, you know, what, what prevents people from wanting to, uh, from having adequate staff or facilities from having adequate staff, excuse me. Well, uh, first and foremost, CNAs are not treated well. They're not treated with dignity and respect for the jobs that we do. Um, we are just, you know, like oh, well, if you don't want to be here, just, just go. You know, it's not that we don't want to be there. We want the right equipment to take care of our residents. We want the right staffing to take care of our residents. And, you know, thank God we do have a union because that is what helps us with this fight. They can't shut us down. They can't turn our voices off because, because of our union and our contract. But you know, a lot, of, a lot of new CNAs, I don't know if everybody's heard of the PCA program, um, we have PCAs that come in and within three days they're gone. They're like, oh no, I'm not doing this. Everything is so unorganized. This is what you hear. Everything is so unorganized. They make you work with 20 residents on day shift. When you work with 20 residents on day shift, you're, you can't give your showers. All you're going to hear is your residents complaining. You can't get everybody fed the right way. How do they think that makes these new CNAs feel as well as us old ones? Don't get me wrong, but they feel like you go to work and, and hopefully when you leave, you can feel pretty good about yourself because you've done everything you can. You've taken care of people. You've made their life that day matter for something. But when things are the way they are now and you, you, you can't properly take care of them. You can't feed them. You can't hydrate them. You can't shower them. And you see them laying there just absolutely miserable because all they can do is watch TV. There's nothing to do, nowhere to go. Get up in the chair. All they do is sleep. They go sit outside, but they can only stay out a few minutes because they got to come back in. You go home and you just have this heavy, heavy heart. And people don't like feeling like that. And I don't blame them. That's going to make, make them feel probably like most of us have felt before is just absolutely miserable. Um, you gotta, you got to have some satisfaction in what you do every day or you take that home into your personal life. And then your whole life gets turned upside down all because you're trying to help other people's family members live out their, the ending of their lives. And, and it, it, it's not easy. I mean, these CNAs come in there and you're like, no, I don't think you should bring her back here. I think you should DNR her, which means do not return. And they're like, well, 
if we DNR everybody just because they don't show up once in a while, we won't have any staff. Well, I say, yes, you would. Increase the, the pay that you're giving your regular staff. Increase the benefits. And I mean benefits that your employees can use. Right now we have health insurance that I do pay a premium, but I only pay it because I'm 57 years old and I guess you never know. <laughs> but on a normal basis, I do not use it. I haven't used it in the last three years because it's just not affordable with what I make. So you've got to increase the benefits to keep people there. But the first and foremost thing they have to do, and they just seem like they don't want to do it, is they have to make it to where we can take care of these residents the proper way. Thank you. Thank you. You know, we're, we're winding up in time and, you know, I just want to, you know, this is about um, uh, what we're trying to support here so folks know is a minimum staffing standard, right? Um, and requiring that the money that taxpayer money that goes to facilities be spent on care and on re resident care and not siphoned off um, into profits um, or, or, or to other places. Uh, and so much of the concern, I mean, we're fighting, as you know, you're fighting against a very strong industry that has been inundating Congress, um, inundating other policymakers saying, we can't do this. And they've been exploiting CNAs to say, you know, um, to say this would be bad for CNAs. Um, so I wanted to ask you, Adelina, if, if, if hopefully there are some um, uh, legislative people here today, if you could tell them, if there was one right here in front of us, what would you tell them? How would a minimum staffing standard uh, change your job and change your ability to provide care, quality care to, to residents? Um, what I would say to them is that uh, safe staffing it would completely change our residents' life because what's you know if you have seven residents, you're able to do everything for that resident, spend more time with your resident, care for them properly, and give them what they need. Uh, you spend more time with them that they want you to do. They don't want you to rush through the care. And they want you actually to be there because our job is supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to be compassion and have a conversation with our residents and give them the proper care. When we don't have that, when we have 12, 13 residents, it's like we're going in and not having much conversation with mm -hmm. our residents and rushing through the care and our residents are like trying to have a conversation with them. We're not even paying attention what they telling us because we're rushing through to do care. And then uh, we have to run out of the room and uh, we don't want that. They, they've been suffering for a very long time and enough is enough. And these companies are like getting smarter because they get in their own agency. So they get the money from the government and they pay in themselves twice. And so they making more money instead of them using that money to pay agency, they should invest that money on their staff and retain staff, attract them on staff to the facility so they can have a staff that, are, that knows their residents that are there to their, with their resident day in, day out, and they can give their resident better care. And the reason why 
the nursing homes are the way the nursing homes are right now, it's because the way that they doing their business. They only doing their business with the agency staff and the mm-hmm. agency staff ones that's taking them down. It's not the regular staff that's there. Because Amen. we're the ones that are there 24 seven where like, you know, sometimes some of us work like, you know, 16 hours because they don't have staff. So we love our residents and we don't want a stranger. Why would you want a stranger come into your house and work around your house? They don't know nothing about your house. So why would you have a stranger coming to a nursing home and taking care of a resident that don't know that person? And they are afraid because sometimes they'll be like, you know, they'll ask you, they'll be like, oh, who's coming tonight to take care of me? If I work seven to three, I'm like, I have no idea who's coming tonight. You can see the look on their faces. They're not not knowing who the person that's coming in to care for them. So, and then they'll ask you like, you know, can you stay? And then you have to go because, you know, you love your resident. So you do stay for your resident. You do 16 hour shift because you don't want a stranger to come and care for them. And then, you know, you come back the next day again, you're tired, you do another double because you're there for your resident. That's what we do every day in a nursing home. And, but for these companies to get this money and then use that money and pay an agency and not paying their regular staff. And that's what like, it makes, it's like my mind boggling what they do with this money. And also uh, when the staff knows that they use that money also they try to save the money to make a profit for themselves so at the end of the year the less money that they save they're gonna have a bonuses for themselves instead of using that for the staff and the staff knows that and we want accountability and that's not happening for many years and we want you know the senators you know these politicians to know that we know what's on and we are here to let you know what's going on so they need to do something about it and for better better safe staffing across the country and for our residents to get better care because our residents have been suffering enough and we're here for them and that's why we want this to happen for them well powerful powerful well said we're running out of time here um and i wanted to make sure we leave enough time just to say um just thank you so much, Adelina, Amy, and Shonda for joining us. I mean, we bandy about the term heroes, but you really are heroes um, to go through. I mean, you can hear the emotional connection that you have with your residents and um, the trauma that you go through daily, uh, but yet uh, continue to show up and put put them often in front of you. Um, and it's, it, it's just amazing. Um, and we just want to thank you for joining us and thank you SEIU for, um, you know, working with us on this, um, uh, this important issue. Uh, before, we, before we wind down here, I just want to remind folks that um, in two weeks from today, if you go to the, to the link that Libby just shared, we'll be having a session that features residents um, and residents will talk about um, what it's like to live in a, a short uh, staff facility. And then the last, uh, uh, then two weeks after that, we'll have a, uh, a session on financials. And we'll talk about a lot of the things that Adelina talked about today, the staffing agencies and how money is 
siphoned away, not only from residents, but from workers and stolen from workers and from residents. Um, so again, I want to thank you for coming. It, it was really an inspiration. I hope you took a look in the, in the chat and saw just how inspired were by what you shared and um thank you so much for joining us and with that we're going to close the webinar thank you everyone for joining and we'll see you in a couple weeks thanks for joining us on pursuing quality long-term care this podcast is a program of the national consumer voice for quality long-term care make sure to visit our website theconsumervoice.org pursuing quality where you can subscribe to the podcast follow us on facebook and twitter and find more information and resources if you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.